Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. You know, climate change is here, regardless of what the Supreme Court says, regardless of what liberals say, regardless of what conservatives say. Uh, Climate change is not, um, you know, going to respond to politics. It's going to respond to actual things that human beings do. That's Jeffrey Tubin, the chief legal analyst over there at CNN. Now, I ask you a question. If the Supreme Court engages a ruling about the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, and what they can and can't do, is that the same as the Supreme Court somehow having some level of decision or or engaging a conversation about whether or not they like what's being done or don't? Aren't we better off with the Supreme Court that doesn't engage whether they like what's happening or not, but rather only engage in the constitutional question of what's happening? Aren't we better off when that's the case? It seems to me that we're only better off when the Supreme Court is not engaged in this idea. So why would the chief legal analyst... Why would the chief legal analyst for CNN be engaged in a conversation that says climate change is here whether you like it or not? Because in the end, what matters is uh, the, the ideology and not even the process. When Elena Kagan... Supreme Court Justice makes this statement. The court appoints itself, instead of Congress or the expert agency, the decision maker on climate policy. I cannot think of many things more frightening. That is a cravenly political statement from a Supreme Court Justice that doesn't discuss what the case is. And while the Supreme Court clearly has stated that the agency class has been taken too far and been able to do too much that isn't within its scope and they also avoided some really fascinating conversations about precedent they handed joe biden a big victory on immigration policy which i would have told you was probably going to go this way because the president gets to decide immigration policy i said it about trump i'll say it about biden even if i don't like the policy tony katz tony katz today guys so good to be with you william jacobson joins us right now cornell law professor the mind behind legal insurrection to break down these two final cases both of them authored by the chief justice uh, john roberts and let's start with this epa case because while it's being taken in all its political circles there really is something i think valuable to the rights being, if you will, returned to the people. Tell us about this case. Right. This is the case in which the EPA essentially took on itself the ability to regulate uh, coal emissions and coal power plants and all sorts of carbon emissions. And where they were heading was essentially remaking the entire uh, economy under uh, what I think we would commonly refer to as a Green New Deal sort of policy. You know, zero carbon uh, carbon emissions. I mean, they may not have used that term, but essentially the EPA took on itself to write a national policy on the use of energy. 
And that's something that Congress normally would do. And what the uh, Supreme Court said is that the EPA did not have the authority from Congress to undertake such major decisions and such major issues. And that's really the question. And that was it. And they said that this is of such import for the economy. This is legislative action, and only the Congress can do it. So the Supreme Court did not say that Congress cannot pass climate change laws. It said, if you're going to do it, then the Congress needs to do it, not an agency bureaucrat. And that was really the, the entirety of it. I was also shocked, as you were, with Kagan's uh, dissent there, which was basically saying, you're going to destroy the earth, justices. I mean, she didn't use that exact phrase, but that was basically it. It was actually kind of shocking that why are you standing in the way of these policies? And that's the whole problem. I mean, that's the whole problem with the liberal justices. It's a policy-oriented, what's the end result you want? And Kagan and the other dissenters want these regulations, want these sort of policies. Well, that doesn't... that. That issue, whether they're good policies or bad, was not before the court. And that's why I I found her dissent shocking also, as you did. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you picked up on it as well. It means I've been doing my homework and, and engaging things uh, properly. But... If we take this a little bit wider than just this case, West Virginia versus EPA, and, and, and go into more of not necessarily what the EPA is doing in trying to control things and really run an economy based on their uh, desires versus Congress, Congress, your representatives engaging in a vote, isn't this much more conversation about the agency class in and of itself that Congress has kind of doled out its responsibility to the agency class. And this this uh, case, the 6-3 decision, kind of brings it back and says, sorry, Congress, you got to do your job here. Well, I think that's right. And this has been a, a fairly consistent theme from the Supreme Court that, you know, there are different entity, different parts of the government have different rights and responsibilities. And just because you're in an agency doesn't mean you get to act as a super legislator. And just because you're a judge doesn't mean you get to act as a super legislator. And the legislature, the Congress, has certain powers and has certain roles, and you can't just usurp them because you want an end result. And I think that's really you know, the takeaway here is that they basically – it's really who gets to decide is the issue. It's not an, a real anal- – it's not a strict analogy – But essentially, in the abortion case, the question was, who gets to decide? And in that case, they said that it's up to, you know, the state legislators to decide what the law will be on abortion. It's not up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now let's uh, step out of this and step into this decision uh, regarding the remain in Mexico uh, policy. Uh, This is uh, the... um, court basically handing the Biden administration a victory. It allows an end to remain in Mexico. But as as I saw it, this 5-4 uh, decision, you had Roberts and Kavanaugh siding with Breyer, with, with uh, Kagan and Sotomayor. This is about the idea that the president gets to decide immigration policy, 
no matter what. So what were the particulars in this case, and should anybody be surprised by the result? Well, you should be surprised because it strikes me as inconsistent with the Supreme Court's DACA decision, you know, the uh, where they Obama essentially gave a quasi amnesty to, you know, certain uh, minors who came to the country, have lived here a certain period of time, et cetera. And when the Trump administration tried to revoke it because it was just a memo by Obama, it wasn't even a regulation. Uh, the Supreme Court wouldn't let uh, Trump do that. So why can Trump not terminate DACA, but Biden can terminate remain in Mexico? So I, I, I'm not really seeing the consistency there from the Supreme Court. I, I think you know they were very similar circumstances. In each case, the argument was that the chief executive has, uh, in some ways, the broadest power you know, that a chief executive has when it comes to immigration. That was in the travel cases. That was the argument, too. But the lower courts didn't really want to accept that. Uh, and here the argument was that the president, you know, has control over who gets to cross the border as long as it complies with the law. And it was not clearly in violation of the law because returning people to their home country or to a neighbor contiguous country was permissive under the statute, not mandatory. And that was what it turned on. But I don't understand how DACA survives, but remain in Mexico doesn't, because in each case, it was a chief executive trying to terminate a prior immigration policy of the prior chief executive, the prior president. So I, I don't see it consistent at all. And I didn't necessarily think I mean, I think Trump should have been able to terminate it legally. And I think Biden should have been able to terminate Remain in Mexico. But let's have some consistency here. Now, that, now on that, I think you make a, a fantastic point because uh, I would be the first person to say that uh, the, the president the president controls immigration uh, and, and should have uh, th this right. This entire uh, term. We've seen interesting moves from, you know, where, where Gorsuch is, where Kavanaugh is, and, and, and what kind of, of decisions they, they come down with and where they, they really do move, if you will, amongst that, that left-right axis. Um, is, there, is there a takeaway you have about the kind of jurist Kavanaugh or, or Gorsuch or John Roberts is after this? I mean, I think we kind of know John Roberts uh, and certainly uh, seems to be more a center-left cat. That's my view of it for sure. Uh, do you have a take on where Gorsuch and uh, Kavanaugh are after this term? I really haven't done a full sweep of, of analysis of all their decision, but I will say one thing that's very interesting, and it's not new this term, is that the so-called conservative justices, formerly five, now six, you get, you get defectors. Depending on the case, you get one or two defectors. On the liberal side, you, you almost never get that in a major case. You might get it in some case that you know, is not politically hot or is not considered you know, politically important. But in the, the political cases, you will get some of the conservative justices essentially switching side. And I think Remain in Mexico is a perfect example. Two of the six conservatives switched sides. And uh, you don't get that on the other side. I and mean, that's one of the things year after year after year, I think is a big takeaway, how united a block the uh, liberals have been on the Supreme Court. 
you know, it used to be four when uh, Ginsburg was there. And now it's down to three. Uh, but they're they're united on the big social issues, the big issues that dominate the newspapers. The liberal bloc, you rarely, if ever, will get somebody defecting. So that's my big takeaway is that what a difference 6-3 versus 5-4 makes because we probably would not have gotten the abortion decision that came down had it been 5-4 because Roberts did, clearly did not want to overrule Roe v. Wade. So uh, I think that's my big takeaway is how consequential Trump getting to put three justices on the Supreme Court is turning out to be. I, I, I we have long discussed this here, and, and I have often made the, the, the statement, although uh, it, it might seem crass to some within the legal world, uh, that for Sonia Sotomayor, she doesn't adjudicate, she votes. And, and there's, a, there's a difference. And when I hear you talk about how they, they go in this, in this block, it, 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 it does give one pause that our court is not acting as a court, but acting as an instrument of social change, which, of course, isn't its uh, objective. That's not what we should want uh, from 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 a court. Was there anything that you did see from uh, the the progressive justices, uh, Breyer, who is now, of course, retiring, but we'll say Kagan and uh, and Sotomayor? Any decisions made where you're like, hmm, that's interesting. I guess they do sometimes see their way uh, clear. Or was there nothing this uh, term? that that put that thought into your head well there's nothing that i saw that put that thought into my head uh you know uh, so did my i'm actually in in a reverse sort of way liking more and more i mean she is what she is and she's powerful and she's articulate about what she does and she writes a lot and so you know she is really i think the heir to ginsburg you know, uh, she will now be the big dissenting voice, and I'm glad she's the dissenting voice, not writing majority opinions. But I think that's one big takeaway I have is how uh, Kagan is almost a, a sidekick now to Sotomayor, uh, and Sotomayor is the, the voice of the dissent on the Supreme Court. Before I let you go, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, it got noticed uh, that um, in this conversation uh, from, from the court uh, about the EPA, this 6-3 ruling, there was no discussion of Chevron, which is agency deference, right? The agency makes a rule and we just go along with it. They treated this case as what they referred to as a major questions case. Is there something to take from that? Did the Supreme Court just signal to America what their view is of agencies, whether or not they want to actually take this up? They see a problem here. They want to actually engage a restoration of uh, congressional control and authority and oversight so the people are actually represented. Or is that just a lot of people reading into something on the super quick? You know, the Chevron doctrine is a big thing with law professors and legal comments. But I, I think, you know, Supreme Court said the agency didn't have the power to do this. It didn't need to get into issues of deference and things like that because you, you didn't have the power to do it. So I think they avoided that question. And I think that, you know, is reflective of John Roberts not wanting to reach issues that he thinks don't need to be reached to to 
get to a decision, just like he did not want Roe v. Wade to be addressed in the in the abortion case. So uh, I, I wouldn't read that much into it other than it clearly signals that the Supreme Court is not going to let agencies run wild and hopefully will be a cautionary tale uh, and will itself you know, curtail people knowing that they'll be subject. And I think it will embolden district courts and courts of appeal to more carefully scrutinize the authority of agencies to take major actions that are essentially are the equivalent of legislation. That scrutiny is something I look forward to. Uh, William Jacobson, a Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Have a wonderful uh, Independence Day to you. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Now, normally I save this for headlines and not for not for tweets, but uh, this is from Jane Fonda so horrifically bad. Your car's seatbelt, safety miracle or decapitation nightmare? What is the connection between rain and farming? The answer may surprise you. Heroin, sex, machine guns, flamethrowers, murder. There's no story here. We've just found that ratings go up when we say those words. It's time for the worst headline of the day. Jane Fonda on Twitter. If a corporation can be defined as a person, why not redefine vaginas as AK-47s? That way, they'd be free of governmental restrictions by those who care about the sanctity of life. And, of course, Jane Fonda's vagina would be communist. No, really, producer Ari, nothing? You want me to respond to a Jane Fonda vagina joke? Are you out of your mind? I, I, I really do, and as a matter of fact, I'm waiting for it. Hell no, I'm punting that one. I don't think that's the right use of the word, but that's fine by me. Who, the, the, she wrote this and thought it was funny. She thought this was uh, clever. Clever. 3,800 people liked the tweet. Don't know why. And then, you know, on social media, there are a lot of jokes. There are a lot of jo- Like, I am not so sure I can share them with you here. I am not so sure I can. Uh, uh, here's what I can use from our friend Ed Morrissey. You want a five-day waiting period and a law enforcement background check before you can use it? That's pretty good. That's, 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 that's pretty good right there. Bravo. Oh, radicals who don't understand the law just saying ridiculous things and people like circus seals engaging with them. So silly. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. carry permit holders that are committing crimes because the lawful gun owner will say that you're attacking the wrong person. It's really people that are getting these guns illegally that are causing the violence, not the people going and getting the permit legally. And that's the basis for the whole Supreme Court argument. Do you have the numbers? I don't need to have numbers. I don't need. I don't have to have a data point to point to to say that this is going to matter. All I know is I have a responsibility to the people of this state 
to have sensible gun safety laws. And this one was not devised by the Hochul administration. It comes out of an administration from 1908. That's the governor of New York. She doesn't need to know data. She doesn't have any need uh, for, for facts to back up her position, her anti-Second Amendment position. No, no, no. Uh, she knows what she has to do. You know, this is very, um, uh, very much uh, reminiscent of, uh, of Representative Ocasio-Cortez, where um, she doesn't have to be factually correct. What she needs to be is morally right. This was uh, a statement she made a while ago couple of years back and was talking to Anderson Cooper about it and she said please facts or one word there I would argue that they're missing the forest for the trees I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely factually and semantically correct than about being morally right Clearly, this is how Governor Hochul feels. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. Remember that in that statement, both Governor Hochul both representative, and also Representative Ocasio-Cortez, they believe themselves to be morally right. Yet, while the Supreme Court once again affirms your right to keep and bear arms, the state of New York continues to try and limit that right. And in California, well, uh, they don't believe in privacy at all, even though abortion is supposed to be all about privacy rights. Cam Edwards joins us right now. He is the editor of BearingArms.com. He is your Second Amendment expert. Those are my words right there. Maybe not his, but damn it, he knows more than I do. Uh, Let's start with California. This leak that has taken place of the information, the private information of firearms owners, including driver's license numbers, and as you write about it just today, worse than originally admitted. So first, let's start with what we knew, and then what makes it worse. Sure. Uh, thanks, Tony. So, yeah, so so the initial reports, uh, at least the initial admission from Attorney General Rob Bonta was that Concealed carry application information had been uh, made available for download uh, on this data portal that the uh, Office of the Attorney General announced with great fanfare this week, talking about increasing transparency. So much transparency that, as you said, people could click a link and then they could download all of the personal details of those who had applied for a concealed carry license. So not just those who were approved, but those who were rejected as well. As you say, we're talking names, we're talking addresses, we're talking driver's license info. Uh, But yesterday afternoon, the Attorney General announced that other databases were publicly accessible as well, including uh, the Extreme Risk Protection Order database, Tony, the red flags in California. So all of the red flag petitions apparently were available to be downloaded for uh, an undetermined period of time. The dealer record of sales, so all of the firearm sales records in the state of California, were made available for a period of time. Um, you know, this is the, the state of California collects so much information about gun owners, and we as Second Amendment activists have been talking about the dangers of this for some time, right? Not just that, well, they want a gun registry so they know where the guns are so they can go get them if they uh, decide to confiscate them, but just the, the danger that all of these Californians are now put in. Criminals have been given a, a shopping list of where to go to, where the guns are. You've got judges, you've got prosecutors. 
You've got exes who have left their abusive spouses or their abusive boyfriend or girlfriend who don't want them to know where they live now. All of those individuals have been exposed because of this data leak. And while Rob Bonta says that he is angry and deeply disappointed, you know, so far the only step that the attorney general's office has offered these folks is, well, we'll, uh, we'll give you some free credit reporting for a couple of months in case somebody steals your identity. What about the folks who now break into people's homes? What about the home invasions that take place? What about the kidnappings? What about the murders that could take place because of the release of this confidential and private information in California? So let's take the first step first just for a moment. Is the is the better situation here not to keep records of these things? I mean, it, it is the government. They keep records of everything. I'm not saying they should, but is the argument that there should be no records? Well, my argument would be no records. Uh, you know, the federal government is supposed to destroy uh, uh, Nick's records after 30 days so that they don't keep a permanent record. California takes the opposite view. And, in fact, it was 10 years worth of concealed carry data that was leaked online from 2011 to 2021. We don't know if the same is true for the dealer record of sales or the ERPO orders, uh, but that is a, an insane amount of information that the state of California is hanging on to. Uh, but then again, you know, a couple of years ago, actually earlier this year, Gavin Newsom signed a bill that was, again, designed to release some of this data. So, for instance, this portal was supposed to work that you could go and you could look and see the name and the county of concealed carry applicants or concealed carry permit holders, but you wouldn't get their actual address. So the release of the information that they were trying to do, I think, was bad enough. Um, but if they can't manage this data or if they if someone in that attorney general's office intentionally, uh, you know, uh, changed the code so that this was all publicly accessible information. Again, it doesn't really matter what the what the what the motivation for this was. What matters is the outcome. And the outcome to me proves that states cannot be trusted to maintain this data because they cannot be trusted to keep it secure. Talking to Cam Edwards, the editor of Bearing Arms, B-E-A-R-I-N-G, BearingArms.com. Let's go back to this Attorney General Bonta. Uh, when I first read the reporting, I was left with the feel based on the reporting itself and, and the sites that I got it from. And I, I was aware that there was an absolute anger about this. It seemed to me there had been a question about whether or not this was a data breach or this was, oh, no, a data breach. How did that happen? Is mm -hmm. there any info anywhere, legitimate, proper, categorized information that says maybe the attorney general's office wanted to apply the pressure? Maybe somebody did this as a way of a, of a, of a blank you to a whole bunch of firearms owners in California? Not at the moment, because Bonda's office is really issuing some, you know, non-responsive responses so far. So they've, they've, they've been incredibly uh, untransparent, opaque uh, about what their investigation has shown to this point. But, you know, Tony, listen, here's the thing. And I, I said this at Barry and Arms. I, I am somewhat skeptical of the idea that Rob Bonta himself said, let's release this information. Right. Because there are going to be a lot of high dollar Democratic donors in Silicon Valley and Hollywood who have the power and the influence to get those rare concealed carry permits, right? And their, their information is now exposed. But the idea that there's some anti-gun nut working in the AG's office who said, oh, these dirty, rotten gun owners, they're going to get what's coming to them, that sounds incredibly plausible to me. Uh, because the other idea is that somehow the coding of this database and, and the, the public portal uh, went through all of the beta testing, the layers of bureaucratic approval, 
and nobody actually checked to see that this data was secure and that they weren't releasing information that they're not supposed to release. I, I mean, look, either incompetence or, or maliciousness is to blame here. Uh, but either way, the responsibility falls on Rob Bonta because he's the head of that office. And I, I, I said today at BarryAndArms.com that Rob Bonta should resign. You know, you, you take a look at what they call Occam's razor, that the simplest answer is usually the right one. Then there's Hanlon's uh, razor that says never ascribe to malice what can be uh, ascribed to uh, sheer ignorance and stupidity. Uh, and that's possible. Uh, the problem is it's plausible in a world of Supreme Court leaks and leaks within the, the Trump administration that something indeed purposely and willfully got leaked. Talking to uh, Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com, let me move you over to New York, where you heard me play the audio from Governor Kathy Hochul. Uh, you want to talk about somebody who, honestly, if she could stand on a balcony, cross her arms, and tell you about how she's making the trains run on time, she'd do it. That's the kind of take you get from Governor Hochul. And now you're talking about more legislation, more regulations from New York, and that people are already saying this violates Bruin, the decision that the Supreme Court just came down with, New York Pistol and Rifle Association against Bruin. Uh, what's the latest here? Yes, yeah, so I actually spoke with the head of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association today. Um, and this is amazing, Tony. So. You know, Hochul brought lawmakers back into Albany for an extraordinary session, uh, specifically to respond to the Supreme Court's decision. As of 1030 Eastern time this morning, no Republican member of the Senate had actually seen the legislation that is going to be introduced and voted on today and presumably signed by Governor Hochul today. They haven't even had a chance to look at the bill. So all we know is what Hochul has talked about in interviews. But based on what she has said alone, this is clearly an attempt to defy what the Supreme Court said in Bruin. I mean, she is talking about making every private business a gun-free zone by default. She is talking about banning guns from most public spaces. Somebody asked her yesterday, well, I mean, it sounds like this is a complete ban on carrying. And she said, no, the court told me I can't do that. And she said, well, where can you carry? And Hochul's response was, well, maybe some streets. You know, listen, Clarence Thomas talked about the general right to carry in self-defense in public. Uh, what Hochul is doing here turns that right again into a, a non-entity. Uh, and in addition to all of these sensitive places that she's trying to define, they're also imposing some incredibly burdensome training standards. She wants 15 hours of live fire range training in addition to however many numbers of classroom hour training that, uh, that she wants to impose. But 15 hours of, of range time, Tony, the cost of ammunition alone for folks to try to satisfy that requirement is going to price the right to bear arms out of the, the means and reach of a lot of New Yorkers. And I talked with Tom King, as I said, the head of the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association today. He said, listen, we have a range shortage in this state. Most of the ranges are privately owned and operated by gun clubs. They don't offer this type of training. He said in the Albany area, which is home to about 2 million people, he said there are two public ranges. So how are folks supposed to get this training? They're not. And that's by design. All of these efforts are designed to artificially depress the number of New Yorkers who are exercising the right to bear arms. And again, that is a defiance of what the Supreme Court said. So I do expect that uh, if these bills get signed in a law today, we may see a court challenge filed tomorrow. Uh, you know, we have a holiday weekend, so it may be next Tuesday before those lawsuits are filed. But I expect that they are coming, and I am hopeful 
that there'll be a request for a uh, for an injunction uh, that would actually prevent any of these new gun control laws from actually taking effect. It's there's something to learn here about the willingness of the Democratic Party, because that's what we're referring to here. To say, we don't like the, what the court did. They're, they're supposed to side with us. They didn't side with us. And let's dismiss them and then actively do it. And it, this will this will get discussed as well. You know, Kathy Hochul's really trying to protect uh, the, the, the people. There's a this willingness, this desire to actively engage in a dismissal of, of a branch of government, a dismissal of the court, to really engage in, I mean, when you have people like uh, the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, Blanca, Clarence Thomas, and and you've got uh, Chelsea Handler filling in for Jimmy Kimmel, uh, telling, uh, you know, Ginny uh, Thomas may be married to a black man, but she's still a racist. It's remarkable how they just push right through and there is no... Uh, push back on this uh, as as a guy who talks about rights often. I mean, that's that is really the focus of what you do, right? It's more than just mm-hmm. the Second Amendment. It's about the idea that rights exist and you have the right to exercise them. Um, how how concerning is the rhetoric versus the reality? Well, I, you know, I, I think the rhetoric is very concerning, and I think the immediate reality. Is, is frankly just as concerning because, again, what they're doing here are trying to deprive people of exercising a constitutional right. You know, I, I live outside of a town called Farmville, Virginia, which back in the 1950s was actually uh, home to a majority of the cases that ended up comprising Brown versus Board of Education. You had black students walk out of their high school because of the unequal treatment that they were receiving. And when the Supreme Court handed down Brown versus Board of Education, they said, listen, you've got to integrate public schools. Prince Edward County, which is where Farmville is located, they shut down the private schools for five years rather than integrate. And I got to tell you, I'm getting that same vibe right now, Tony, seeing these modern-day Democrats stand in the door of the courthouse, stand in the door of the sheriff's office, say, you will not apply for a concealed carry license. We're going to make it as hard as possible for you to exercise your right because we don't like that. We don't like that right. We don't like you carrying a gun around. We have to protect you from yourselves. It is not just uh, demeaning. It is not just, you know, uh, uh, an elitist attitude. Uh, It is fundamentally un-American. It is fundamentally unconstitutional. It is disgusting to see this type of behavior. You don't have to agree with the court's decision. Kathy Ogle can, can, you know, uh, complain about it as much as she wants. But the Supreme Court said in no uncertain terms that what they're doing is violating the constitutional rights of New York residents. And Kathy Ogle is doubling down on doing exactly that. Cam Edwards is his name. Find him on Twitter, Cam Edwards, C-A-M-E-D-W-A-R-D-S. I, I spelled it out just in case you needed it. Cam Edwards on the Twitter box, bearingarms.com. That is the site. Be sure to check it out. More to get to on Tony Katz. So the Dow is down 121 the nasdaq is down 58 but the story is the inflation measure multi-decade highs so core personal consumption expenditure prices this excludes food and energy up 4.7 percent from a year ago they're gonna say slightly less than expected Ooh. That's that's what matters. The expectation, you see, it was only 4.7%. The expectation was 4.8%. So you see how much better everything is going. 
Weekly jobless claims, 231,000. Inflation rising 0.6% on the month, as is being reported. And that means, oh gosh, you mean tomorrow we have we have uh, unemployment numbers. Okay. I got to tell you, I think the unemployment numbers mean less and less to people. And these numbers mean more and more. Especially when you have the Fed uh, saying, yeah, we don't think we can tame this inflation thing. You know, we thought we could just raise interest rates and raise interest rates. And, uh, uh n- n- no. Mm, it's not going to really do the job. So buckle up. Everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today.